by mandating the vaccine, we know that if you're vaccinated, if you're asymptomatic, you cannot spread the virus. So I think that's really important issue that has to be kept in mind. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, thank you once again for spending some time with us. Um, looking past the week, certainly one of the topics uh, is the continuing data around the world and particularly around the Delta variant. Uh, what can you share with us? Well, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing with the Delta variant that concerns me is what has happened in the United Kingdom. Um, in middle of May, the rate in the United Kingdom, actually the number of cases in the United Kingdom, was just, just north of 1,500 cases per day. Um, that's cases per day, total cases per day. The last two days, the United Kingdom has been over 15,000 cases per day. And this increase in cases has paralleled the the growth of the Delta variant, which is now the predominant variant in the UK. In the United States, the Delta variant has gone from 6% um, about two weeks ago to now something on the order of 20%. And that's consistent with the what we were said, what we were told is that the doubling rate is going to be about 10 days to two weeks. Um, what that implies is that by the middle of July, we are probably going to be at Delta variant being the primary variant in the United States. So the question that arises then, we're down in the United States to right between three and four cases per 100,000 per day. Are we going to go up 10 times the rate? And I think there's some reasons why not, but that's the big question that we're going to have. I'll, st- I'll stop there for a minute. Yeah, the the Delta mutant, um, if you look at the reproductive rate of this particular virus, the estimate now is, remember the wild type, uh, one person infected 2 to 2.5. Um, as far as the uh, Delta mutant, uh, one person can infect 7. So it is a reproductive rate of 7. It's much, much more infectious, even than the Alpha variant or the UK variant, which had a reproductive rate of about 3.5 to 4. So this explains why it's spreading so rapidly and taking over so quickly. And the, the, the good news is both the Moderna and Pfizer, um, if you receive both doses, uh, the vaccine will protect you. It's about an 83% eff- efficacy for mild uh, to moderate development of mild to moderate disease. Our problem is the same, I think, as the UK. Young people are not getting vaccinated, and there are outbreaks now in southern Missouri that are really, it's really taking off, and actually all of the beds in certain ICUs in that region are actually filled, and they don't have enough nursing or healthcare capacity. So I, I'm very concerned there is going to be a new surge, and the surge will occur among those who are not vaccinated, and the primary uh uh, variant will be the Delta variant. Uh, Dr. Walensky, the head of CDC, she said earlier this week that severe disease and deaths are an entirely preventable phenomena. They're preventable if people get vaccinated. And that's the concern right now is, is can we get the word out? Now, 
the I guess you'd call it the good news in the UK is that they are in fact seeing this surge and younger people are starting to step up to the plate and get their get their vaccination because they are seeing the cases happening. But the other thing of note in the UK is while they're having this this tenfold increase or nearly tenfold increase in cases, the deaths have not budged. They're still looking at low double digits, uh, 10 to 15 deaths per day in the entire United Kingdom. So the Delta variant does not seem to be more uh, lethal but it is incredibly more infectious. The one other point on the infectivity that I find very interesting was the Australians, um, where it's becoming predominant in Australia also. They have low double-digit number of cases for the entire nation. And they also have a highly instrumented um, retail sector, lots of, lots of closed-circuit TV cameras. And so they were able to track the people who were um, who were carrying the the transmitting the disease, and when they tracked them, they found that oftentimes the the contact was fleeting. You know, walking by someone who may have coughed or sneezed in a, um, a retail store or in a mall, that was all it took to transmit the disease. So it it is much more infectious. Yeah, and if you look at the household contacts, uh, the experience in India is that. Uh, the our, the wild type virus, which we've experienced, about 50 to 58 percent of household contacts become infected when one person who is infected comes in. In the case of uh, the Delta mutant, it's more like 90 to 95 percent of household contacts become infected. So this is a whole new ballgame. And one of the problems is I'm not sure mask the mask will help some, but they won't help to the extent that they did with the wild type virus. And so the only, in my estimate, the only way to be sure to be protected is to become, uh, to be vaccinated. And I just wanted to underscore the point here that the objective is when we talk about efficacy or when you have spoken about efficacy, it is not just simply whether or not you would contract it, but if you did, whether that would lead to hospitalization or death or serious what other forms of serious respiratory illness and i think that's the point that both of you have made yes and and uh the efficacy as measured was mild to moderate disease if with regard to protection from severe disease hospitalization and death it's very close to 100 percent protection okay and let me just reiterate uh because you know part of this is the takeaways here is that Unlike the original strain of COVID-19, the Delta strain seems to be, I'll use the word, impervious to some of the social distancing and mask wearing precautions that were previously employed with, with a fair degree of efficacy. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yes, I agree. The issue of vaccine reticence. You mentioned the young population has been reluctant to take it. We know certain communities have viewed with suspicion um, government-sponsored vaccines, uh, particularly ones that seem to have received approval on a fairly expedited uh, on a fairly expedited basis. And yet, you're also seeing hospital workers. Um, there's been recent litigation. It's not just 
um, at uh, Houston Methodist, but there are several hospitals that have now been told, um, they've told their workers, um, don't come into work unless you have been vaccinated. And yet, you know, certain populations, uh, frontline workers in these hospitals have been reluctant to take the vaccine, notwithstanding the fact that the doctors in these hospitals have stepped up. Maybe you can help unpack what else you have learned about the reasons for reticence and maybe some ideas about how to overcome uh, the reluctance. And I raise this because there are many companies, as we've discussed previously, who are trying to get their policy right, would like to see all their employees vaccinated, and yet uh, even some of the most sophisticated companies in the world have personnel uh, who have been reluctant to take it. Uh, what else have you guys learned about, you know, again, the reasons and some of the ways that might overcome uh, this reluctance? The biggest reason that that I'm given when people talk about why they're not wanting to get it is they say that how could we trust a vaccine that was rushed to market in just five or six months when a um, when a vaccine typically takes seven to 10 years to get through the development and approval process. And they say they just don't trust it because of that. Um, my main uh, response to that is that this is not a vaccine that was developed in five months. This is a technology that has been in the works for over a decade, well over a decade. And we just, they're applying this specific protein the spike protein uh, uh, coding to the technology, but it is not a a fly-by-night technology that was just plucked out of the air. This is the result of, of years and years of research. So how do you count, counter that feeling with people that are in your business or people you run across or in in medical practice for me? And the way I counter it is the education, is just going through and to, and teaching people that this is not something that was developed on off the cuff in the, just a few months, that it was a product of research. That's number one. I'll, I'll, I'll leave, leave Fred to have one. <laughs> Great. Bill, Bill I, I, I do agree with you. Uh, and one of the big differences is that they, the company started manufacturing the vaccine before they had even started. They were beginning phase two of the trials. Uh, normally, they would never take a chance doing that because if the, the trials failed, they would be left with huge uh, investments that would not pay off. So, But the government covered them for this manufacturing. And this explains why it was released so quickly. For instance, the polio vaccine, after Salk had developed it, it took over a year to ramp up the, the manufacturing. So I think that's a key element. Another concern are there are people that just uh, because of the anti-vaccine uh, through the social networks, etc., don't want to take any vaccine. We have seen this with our nurses with influenza vaccine. And there's a certain percent that will not take the influenza vaccine. And they are willing to wear a mask throughout the day uh, and not take the vaccine. So there's a, a group that's very stridently opposed to vaccinations, and it seems to be not uh, physicians are, are rarely that way. It seems to be in nurses 
and other levels of the healthcare workers that seem to have embraced this anti-vaccination. And I, I think it's almost impossible to convince these people because their entire life they've been opposed to vaccination. And I think the only way is to make uh, to mandate. Now, one of the issues in why healthcare healthcare workers should want to take the vaccine is they are working with patients. Um, if they were to get asymptomatic asymptomatically carry the virus, they could give it to their patients and they could cause serious harm, something none of them want to do. And the hospital doesn't want to do that. That's a liability issue for them. So by mandating the vaccine, we know that if you're vaccinated, you cannot, if you're asymptomatic, you cannot spread the virus. So I think that's really important uh, issue that has to be kept in mind. Well, I'll dis- we don't disagree often. I'll disagree a little bit here. I think that there are certain settings where vaccine mandates are appropriate, a hospital being one, because you can't control whether a patient coming in is vaccinated or not. And you, it is just not right for the caregivers to potentially be uh, infecting those patients who are coming in for care, regardless of the, whether they've chosen to be vaccinated or perhaps they actually have a medical or religious reason why they haven't been vaccinated. But in other settings, I have some I have trouble with mandating, especially an unapproved an authorized but unapproved vaccine um, when the vaccine itself is so protective. You know, we're, we're, as Dr. Walensky said, that this is now a fully preventable disease. And the only ones who are really putting themselves at risks at risk are the ones who are choosing to be at risk. So in that setting, I don't feel like mandating it in the workplace. Um, schools or may, they may be a special case like uh, hospitals. But but at the workplaces, I don't feel um, that mandating it necessarily is the best way to go. One other reason on that is when we looked at vaccines in the past with workplace uh, mandates, including the anthrax vaccine, what we found was as soon as you mandated it, the resistance levels went up. If you if it was in short supply, everybody wanted it. As soon as it was, it was mandated, the resistance levels were much, much higher. So I think that ed- education is an important way, except for those those unique settings like hospitals and potentially schools. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Bill, in general. But Keep in mind, there is a population in, in, in every society that are highly, highly resistant to taking on anything new. And therefore, those individuals uh, will not be susceptible to education. They create an actual barrier to any information that conflicts with their preconceived concepts. And uh, so, so that group... Just know that you will have a population that will insist on not being vaccinated if you don't mandate. That's just important. And then you have to design your program to take into account that population. No, I, that's correct. That's correct. One of the, the companies that I work with, um, they you know, read all the data and they said that they want to essentially mandate. And what they did was they're saying in order to protect our workplace, what we are going to do is we are going to require, if you are not vaccinated, you must wear a mask at all times when you're in the workplace and you have to 
test with a piece with a um, point of care um, molecular test every single day. You have to wait in a uh, you know, waiting area on deck circle to get the result before you're allowed into the workplace. And what happened was they went from having about 85% who had voluntarily got, got their vaccine to they're now 98% vaccinated because they just made it, they, they, they made it such a hassle not to be vaccinated that people just said, oh, the hell with that. I'll go, I'll get the vaccine. I think that's a great strategy, actually. I, I agree with that, that approach. The other thing you can do, remember, the company has to pay for all these unnecessary tests because that individual won't get vaccinated. Uh, should that cost be uh, paid by the employee? That's that's a great question. Um, they The company in this case was paying for the tests. Um, but you're right. And if the company, the, the employee has a a way of getting the vaccine, because remember, employers under the Occupational Safety and Health Act are requ- they are required to provide a safe and healthful workplace. And so anything they do, you know, in terms of vaccination or masking or testing that to provide a safe and healthy workplace is totally reasonable. Um, but once the vaccinations are freely available, anybody can walk down the street and get it, as is the case in most of the United States. Then you have to ask yourself, has the company complied with their obligation? And if the only ones not vaccinated are those who have chosen not to vaccinate. And yes, you have to make accommodation for the people who are allergic or have uh, deeply held religious uh, reasons for rejecting the vaccine, but that's a very, very small number. One of their little uh, wrench is the Delta variant in that mass and distancing the techniques that were used by companies before will not be effective. That will mean they will have to test every single day to assure that no one comes into their environment who has developed this, uh, contracted the Delta Variant, and that's going to logistically very, very difficult situation. That's right. What it, one other issue that brings up is um, how how effective will the Delta variant be at transmitting from people who have been vaccinated? You know, we do know, like such as the the situation with the uh, New York Yankees, where they had seven people who were infected. We don't know the variant. At least I don't know the variant on those those seven people. None, only one of them was at all sick. Six of them were not at all sick, and in fact, none of them transmitted to anybody else. But will that be the case with the Delta variant? And I don't think we know yet. I know the Australians are looking at it, but uh, I don't think we know the answer on that yet. I said the Australians. I'm sorry. I meant the Israelis are looking at that. Something we've touched upon in the past, because I'm hearing uh, sort of absolute certainty from both of you in terms of the importance of getting vaccinated, the safety, the efficacy, etc. And I'm also hearing a fair amount of frustration. Fred, I think the term you used was um, these people, you know, there are, there's a certain percentage of the population that's been against vaccinations in general. And there's no convincing them, or there will be no convincing. Uh, some of this is not, it can't simply be the, we'll call it the evidence, or the data, or the messaging, or the fact that so many people have been vex- vaccinated, and it has um, proven to be 
both safe and effective. There has to be an issue here in terms of the messengers who are carrying the message forward and a lack of trust that, notwithstanding the scientific data, that people just don't trust it. And so I, I, I'm not going to call out names, but there are professional athletes who are highly sophisticated, highly accomplished, not only in their sports, uh, their chosen sports, but actually in the business world, who also uh, made decisions not to be vaccinated, and then it's come out that you know they're they're in the COVID protocol as a result. And so, what else do you think our government has to do? What else do you think the business community has to do? What else do you think the not-for-profit organizations, media, etc., has to do other than? get the facts out, but in terms of finding the right messengers. Well, David, this problem comes up. I work in quality and safety in healthcare, and we're often creating protocols that make patient care safer. And when we design these, they de- we show that they work, and then we ask uh, physicians and other healthcare workers to follow those protocols, and they don't do it. So this is a, a common, common problem of implement, implementation science. And uh, as I mentioned before, there, it, we, it's well known um, that there is a small group. Um, they're, can, they're either called traditionalists or laggards, uh, if you want to be more derogatory, um, who will not accept change and will not and will fight to the death not to make the change. And so I don't have a good solution, and I don't think anyone that I know of has a good solution for that particular group of individuals. I think that one of the most powerful arguments is that we've delivered now almost 3 billion, with a B, vaccinations around the world. And yes, there have been some side effects. Those side effects have been relatively small in number. They've been identified. Uh, Risk mitigations for for those risks that have been identified have been put into place. But 3 billion vaccinations into it, that's a hell of a lot of data. So we, we have a real good idea of the of the safety of this vaccine. And now we also have a really good idea about the efficacy of the vaccine. But it's we need to get to people such as uh, faith leaders, um, sports figures, uh, musicians, uh, other. You know, unfortunately, oftentimes it's getting to various kinds of artists that people are going to to listen to um, because they're not going to they're they're thinking with their hearts not with their heads um, and you need to get the people who are going to speak to them at that level yes i i i agree with bill personal narrative personal stories um friends that got infected that didn't get vaccinated stories like that occasionally can bring people around so i think that is one uh tactic that can be used and might might be effective. USA Today had a series um, either early this week or over the weekend uh, that was talking about, uh, it was talking of cases of exactly that, people who had put it off and had 
they died or they were very, very sick. One of the stories was of someone who had put off, put off getting his vaccine. He was even someone who was open to getting it, but he just didn't think it was important. And he ended up with a double lung transplant. Um, those kinds of case stories are going to be powerful, um, especially as Delta begins to once again uh, increase the, the case numbers that we're seeing. Switch gears. Both of you have been uh, discussing new data, new evidence in terms of um, expanding the population who uh, should be vaccinated. And I think there's a some more data about under 18 individuals who are under 18 can you maybe shed some light on that as well and what and what it is you're you're generally following right now the biggest thing that is a a, an issue with the under 18 population is as we kind of discussed earlier is these this population generally even with the delta variant are not getting severely ill are not dying of it so they're looking at you know these risks that are out there the risk of myocarditis which is a small risk but people don't think they just hear the words they don't think about the the rates uh, but they see this risk and then they see that well, what's my individual benefit and they say well my individual benefit is pretty low they don't think about what it means to get this virus under control for everybody. Um, and so what is the, what's the public health uh, driver for getting everybody, including the under-18s, vaccinated? Because it doesn't have a direct, significant direct benefit for them that they perceive as being higher than the risk of getting uh, of the vaccine. Yeah, the the risk of myocarditis is about one per hundred thousand of those eighteen and younger who become vaccinated. And the good news is that the inflammation of the heart is very transient. It only lasts three or four or five days. There's no evidence of any permanent damage. So yes, it is a side effect. Yes, we wish it wasn't there, but it's not a permanent and uh, does not cause permanent impairment. And a point that's been made by pediatric infectious disease physicians is the coronavirus itself does cause myocarditis, which can be very severe and can result in permanent damage. Therefore, the risk of developing myocarditis from the vaccine is far lower than the risk of developing myocarditis uh, as a consequence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And uh, just as a final note for today's uh, conversation, as you look out uh, the week ahead, two weeks ahead, um, the potential for new vaccines coming into the market, other questions about the efficacy of existing vaccines, what are you advising your clients in terms of as they begin to start to reopen, whether they're businesses, government agencies, et cetera, what should they be doing? My approach is what I discussed earlier, that I think that we've gotten to the point in the United States, at least, where anyone who wants to get vaccinated can walk down the street or call and make an appointment and get vaccinated today, generally speaking. Um, Once we're at that point, then for businesses, including retail, including um, performance-oriented or or competition businesses, um, go for it. And people need to take, they can take their risk themselves. If they're not vaccinated, it's on them. Um, I think you advise them that anyone who is not vaccinated should wear a mask, should try to distance. But as we are learning, 
that may not be as beneficial with the with the delta variant so uh, i think that's the biggest thing that i'm that i'm telling people is what we have the vaccine now use it and if you're vaccinated then you're pretty much out of the weeds out of i'm sorry out of the woods <laughs> yeah i i agree with bill um if you think about it if your employees are all vaccinated you have a competitive advantage those individuals will not have to will not get sick will not miss work will never have to be quarantined or isolated um so and the and they will not have large medical bills if they get sick which would put up the premiums on health insurance so from a financial from a competitive standpoint having everyone vaccinated um, is a competitive advantage one uh, if the delta mutant really takes over and the r sub zero is seven i would recommend that those that are not vaccinated work um, and, and don't work and distantly work virtually because i don't know that you're going to be able to protect individuals in the workplace that are not vaccinated i think these are great points um, and i'm sure will be appreciated and the irony is both of you have pointed out that uh, um, the people who within businesses or different agencies who are uh, up most upset uh, about returning to work and not knowing whether everyone is vaccinated are the people who have been vaccinated and of course are the most protected and the people who are most at risk are the unvaccinated. So it's an interesting uh, almost uh, uh, variance in and of itself about who's worried about this. And we've heard from many clients uh, amongst the vaccinated who want everyone vaccinated before they come back to work. And of course, um, again, the people who are most at risk are the ones, as you pointed out, who have not been. But I think um, some very, very helpful insights about the Delta variant, helpful insights about even um, if one contracts the virus, um, you're avoiding hospitalization and serious consequences. And then most importantly, that the science and the data continues to support both the safety and the efficacy of the vaccine. So uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Fred, again for sharing the insights and, the, and for following the data so closely. Look forward to speaking next week. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Okay. Thank Take you. care. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution and get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.